gentleman, Greg Bruce. Hooray, hurrah! The smartest man in the world, Krupkast, takes to the ether one more time. Here from the infinite salubrious confines of Los Angeles' most intrepid comic book store slash comedy showcase, the Nerd Melt showroom here, located on Sunset Boulevard, conveniently two stores down from a uh, head shop and two doors down from a liquor store. And there's also a very sexy little place where people drink wine out in front. I don't know the name of it, but I want... Were you guys there tonight? Yes. You don't work there or nothing? No. What's the name of that place? Yeah, you know, Inateca, sure, okay. I I went to a place called Cafe today, it was awesome. They had food and coffee and whatnot, and later I'm going to go to a place called Diner, they have french fries. It's uh, (laughs) a... There's nothing more awesome than going to a generic place and ever using the word awesome in a sentence. There's two things that aren't more awesome than that. Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm going to go to a place called Supermarket to get some food later. Why did they call the Ralphs up on Sunset the Rock and Roll Ralphs? Is it really that awesome? I mean, I've never walked in there and seen a band walking up and down the aisles with their axes on their backs and, like, the drummer clicking his sticks and shit and them all being heroin addicts and checking the sell-by date and the cottage cheese so that they maintain their health. Uh, I've never seen that happen to the Rock and Roll Ralphs. They call it that, but, I mean, I've gone in there. That one has double-decker parking, too. That one's really strange. Then there's the Ralphs on La Brea. For those of you listening out in podcast land, welcome to the show. Uh, we're talking about the supermarkets of Los Angeles now. We've already done a lot of dissertations on the hamburger stands of LA. We usually do that over at the Bar Lubitsch, uh, which is that's located in the more um, uh, effervescent hamburger district. But this is, uh, we're, in, we're in deep Hollywood now. You're near Guitar Center. And uh, Jennifer and I uh, went to Guitar Center a couple weeks ago to buy a cord. Not this cord, but another cord that shall remain nameless. And uh, uh, one that uh, reminded me of the one uh, that my mother had me attached to. It was a very important cord. And um, thank you. I combined an old hack stand-up joke with some unbelievably, uh, you know, ground breaking comedy just there and um, I'll be pointing that out as the evening goes on I'll have a tally uh, I'll have a tally of where's that's going where's the giant cardboard uh, thing of, of the smartest book in the world is it out in front oh okay and uh, in any case uh, we were at guitar oh there it is it's in there that's a perfect place for it um, <laughs> there's one thing about promotion come on Hannah thank you I'll bring it out later in the show yeah I know it's a mock-up of the cover of a book of a mock-up of a book of a cover <laughs> It's pretty exciting. Um, there's nothing like a cardboard cutout in a comic book store because eventually someone's going to go, hey, can I have that? Uh, one year uh, in the 90s, there was a video store near our house in uh, San Francisco. And uh, uh, you remember the 90s. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have phones. And then we did, and they were really big. And uh, if you talked on them too long, your back tooth hurt beyond measure and started to ache and pine and ping. And then it got hot. Uh, your fillings would get hot in your mouth because of the radiation that was being emanated. Uh, through the, uh, uh, the telephones. And then we had to go to video stores to get our videos. We couldn't just go on the computer because there was no fucking computer. I mean, there was, but it was in a college and you had to look, know Pascal or whatever to talk on it. And uh, we'd go to the video store down the street. The one near our house was called, I can't remember, it was a coffee shop, Video Cafe. Video Cafe. Thank you for remembering the name of the video store on 25th and Geary. 26th and Geary? 21st and Geary. 21st. And they were, it was open 24 hours, or was it 20? two hours. Anyway, um, it was open 24 hours a day, and you could get videos, and, and we used to call it Colonel Reddle and Eggs, which is a completely obscure uh, Dutch movie uh, from the early 80s. In any case, um, they had a giant Thelma and Louise uh, cutout, and it had the big picture of them, and then it was a big picture of, of Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon with their head, uh, you know, with their uh, scarves on and their giant sunglasses going like this, and, uh, and it said... Uh, 
they had the worst tagline for any and, and the line's not even in the movie. You know, like, you know how a Bruce Willis movie, it'll always be like, they didn't know what they were facing. Or Steven Seagal, it's always, first they killed his family. You know, <laughs> now he's, right, right. Jean-Claude Van Damme, he had to fight in a garage. You know, then, then he became a pro hockey player. Then a ninja, you know, then a lizard. Uh, uh, then a nuisance. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in, qu'est-ce que You know, uh, but uh, the, the, the Thelma Louise one said on it, <laughs> Some, someone told them to get a life. So they did. <laughs> that never happens in the movie, by the way. No one says to get a life at any point. No one goes, it's such, it was already hacky by 93 to go, get alive. It was like, if you said something was from hell or had a pit bull on it by 93, you were already way behind the crowd. And because uh, that was over. Uh, so I bought it. I, I said to the guy, can I have this? We start low, right? Start, start. This is the, the art of haggling. Not, not because I have any Semitic heritage. I'm just telling you, start at the bottom, right? Uh, although I did it once in Morocco. A guy had a camel ball and they said, when you go to, or no, it's Turkey. When you go to the Grand Bazaar in Turkey, be sure to haggle over everything. The starting price is simply a jumping off point for you to enter in a negotiation with the locals. So I'd read this in the guidebook. I'm like, mm, four doors in it. So I'll do it. We go to the Grand Bazaar and there's a camel ball, right? I mean, not, you know, they're not the balls of a camel. They're a, a, a piece of, of, uh, of carved stone uh, in the shape of an egg and uh, it's got drawings on it and etchings whatnot and it had camels and whatever and they're called camel balls and the guy goes it's uh, got 80 dirhams or whatever the fuck it was and I go uh, how about 40 and he goes oh and like puts it away and I was like oh no I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't know your grandmother made that this morning golly you know and she's blind as well you know I was like all right all right uh, so that negotiating didn't go that hot. But the last time Jennifer and I, we had to go to the store because one of the cords had a short. This part, it gets better. So we go to Guitar Center, which you should go to because it's really a guitar museum. Uh, like there's all these guitars from everybody. Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Vedder, whatnot. And, uh, not Eddie Vedder. I don't know who, who, Eddie Vedder doesn't play an instrument. He, he just shakes his hair and wishes he was in Creed. And uh, I can't believe I said Eddie Vedder. Now I've said it three times. <laughs> A lot of shredding guitar players. Let me put it that way. I don't. I think Ingwie Malmsteen's guitar is there, and you know, um, the, I think there was Joe Walsh's. I can't remember. They have a bunch out in front. It's really cool. And then there's a bunch inside as well. And then all manner of guitar from every era. You know, the Charlie Christian big band era, and the giant, uh, you know, hollow body Gibsons, and all the bitching black Stratocasters, and then the the douchey, douchey, douchey rocket shaped ones that don't have a fucking. Uh, what do they call the ending where the where you tie the who plays guitar? Well, the fretboard, but not the pegboard, right? Not the pegs. Those ones that it just ends like, oh, fuck, there's, we don't need that now because we're in the future and it's cordless and there's no pegs to make the strings taut. The strings just know how taut they should be. <laughs> I remember when I saw ACDC in 1978, uh, a uh, Angus had a sneaky cordless, which we thought was off the chain technology in 1978 that he was able to get onto the floor and dance around without being near a speaker at all. We were like, fuck, dude, because that's what she said in 1978. If something was super Cala awesome, he went, fuck, dude, Did you see that fucking sneaky cordless? And it had a giant antenna on it, too. It had a big old fucking off the back of it. And Angus would just be fucking banging it. Bon Scott carried him out. I've told the story before, but that, we thought that was super cool. So he goes into the uh, guitar center and we're looking at the guitars. And finally, I'm forced to go over to someone who works there and go, I need this and this chord. And I don't know. And they're like, oh, is it a, you know, a Super Jack 2 to a Fine 3, you know, disc YS fucking AN cable, you know, inoculator 5? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. It's black. And uh, it's, it's thin. And then it ends in a jack. 
Uh, so I got it. And uh, while we're standing there checking out, and they make you show your receipt, uh, you know, at, at the counter. Guitar Center evidently has enjoyed a spate of theft since the day it opened, and it works in that. Was it Best Buy? They used to make you do that. Was it, or what's the one that Circuit City? You'd buy a, a toaster or some nonsense or a, a French press, and then they go, "Can I see your receipt?" And you're like, "What was?" Ch-? You know, you go like, "No, I'm not." Yeah, I stole it. I'm fucking. I came here to lift a fucking toaster because that's. I am the world's most mundane criminal. Later, one of my confederates is over at supermarket stealing some bread, and we are gonna light up the fucking night later tonight. <laughs> Come and get me, copper. Uh, we had to show our things. And while we're standing there, two nuns come in and buy a fucking shitload of instrument. Two nuns in full habit come in and pick up guitars and go like, wow, wow, wow. And I was like, we really should take a picture of this. Because you couldn't stage it. And if you did stage it, people would think you were an asshole. But when two nuns walk in of their own volition, well, maybe they were ordered there by the convent. You know, I hadn't considered that possibility until just now. I thought they breezed in uh, without so much as a buyer leave. But uh, I think they might have been ordered by some, you know, like the mother superior. Like, God damn it, we haven't had enough rock here at the convent. <laughs> this is called Our Sister of the Fucking Shred. And uh, get she down, hither ye hark down to fucking Guitar Center. And they're like, you know, of course, Sister Dominica, whatnot. And then they fucking zoop down there and um, they, they could play. Uh, they formed a small band uh, with a, a rabbi who'd walk by, and uh, it was a Zoroastrian priest who I noticed was caught up in the dance at one point. Um, there would, didn't have to be Buddhists there, because they already knew that everything was happening everywhere. <laughs> Jennifer gave me this. Uh, if you're listening in podcast land, that was a short discussion of the environs here in Hollywood. This is to make the people in the audience here feel comfortable. Uh, L.A. people often feel uncomfortable if you start in on esoteric things. Uh, because then they think, well, what about me? Uh, what about my auditions and where I eat and the places I go and the things I like? Uh, I know there's a whole world out there and that this goes out to Guatemala and Liechtenstein and everywhere. Uh, Upper Volta, as I've noticed. Uh, Antarctica, our newest listener. Shuttle down in Antarctica. I know he's not our newest listener, but he's the newest one of which I've become known. Uh, well, I mean, he made himself known to me. I mean, like he didn't stand up in Antarctica and go, hey, you know, I'm down here in Antarctica. And I'm like, I can't hear you because Morgan Freeman's voiceover is blocking out your... <laughs> Your plaintive cries. Uh, then the penguins marched and marched. Um, the, uh, but I want everyone here to feel comfortable first before I make you feel comfortable in England. And this is the way I'm going to make you feel comfortable in England. You're right, mate. Um, we're going to be in London on June 14th. Uh, so come and see us there at the Soho Theater. Five o'clock show for the book signing, and then uh, uh, later not night a podcast where, of course, I'll sign books anyway. I, I was talking to a club today uh, about this whole book thing. I have a book coming out in May, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, I'm never going to fucking stop talking about it until the end of goddamn time. <laughs> did you write a book? I don't think you did. Well, okay, I know two people in the crowd who have. So <laughs> Michael Koenig's here tonight. He wrote at least one book called Marie for Gladness. Have you written another book, Michael? I've written nine. Nine books. Okay, well, Mike will be taking over the show from here on out. Here on Book Chat, um, in any case, I only own one of your books, but thank you. Um, and uh, uh, so they, I was, I was uh, con- you know, communicating with one of the venues today, and they went, you know, you can sell the book, or you can include it in the ticket price, or one of the comics that had a book, and I'm not going to say who it fucking was, did VIP tickets. And the VIP tickets were f- more than the regular ticket and that meant you got to sit in the front row and meet him and it was like well I'm playing the nerd mail tonight where everyone's in the front row and I have met everyone 
And they've only paid, what is it, 15 scoots or whatever to get in here? 10 scoots, see? Bargone. And you could have gone to Bar Lubitsch a week ago and it was free. And you can probably go again in the near future because I've overbooked LA to the saturation point where I'm preempting TJ Miller's set just to sit here uh, and blather and welcome to Tijuana. Uh, this is from the uh, meowingtons.com. I like to start as many shows as I can. And welcome to the people in England. Yes, I'll be there June 14th. Uh, will you be in Europe as well? That's to be decided. We're working on uh, uh, Stockholm, Paris, Amsterdam, Antwerp, and Brussels. So we'll see. And then maybe Italy. But there won't be a podcast there. We're just going to go there to drink. <laughs> We've got a, a buddy who lives in Italy. And he has a film club. Like, you know, I was going to say like I do. The difference is... Mine is shown on Fairfax Avenue to jaded hipsters. His takes place in the mountains of Italy on the side of a building at night with fucking moths fluttering around and the smell of, yeah, exactly. Someone just went, ah. I don't want to say it's romantic, but Diane Lane has an affair with you on a Vespa. It is fucking all that and much, much more. I'm sure there's a bower of flowers that are intoxicating and you pour yourself a Montepulciano and the next thing you know, you're upside down and the whole world's red. Um, I was in Italy once with my wife uh, and then two times with my boyfriend. And uh, the time I was there with my wife, no, we were in a, an, uh, Siena, I think it was, or up above a Siena in a little town. And there were fireflies everywhere. And I'd never seen fireflies in my life. And from the mountaintop or the hilltop, you could see Siena and whatnot. It was so dazzlingly romantic. That would be the difference. Um, I can only try to evoke romance in an audio way by making ocean noises and the cycling of the moon. Um, if this will help you feel better uh, while you're listening to the show, if you're feeling in a violent mood right now and you've got a joss stick lit at your house and a, a soy candle, because as you know, wax harms nothing, and you're huffing on a bone, as it were, and by that I mean smoking marijuana. I don't mean uh, the act of physical huffing. Um, maybe this will... <laughs> <laughs> and then a salamander goes by that was his friend the newt my wife gave me this this was given to her by a friend everyone will remain nameless and blameless uh, in the light of this article I don't read a lot of articles from meowingtons.com because I'm a grown man Greg you're a grown man who has more kittens on stage than any gay drag artist named kittens du jour. So your whole defense that you're a grown man and therefore you wouldn't read something from meowingtons.com. How do we know that you don't ghost meowingtons.com? That you ghost kitty it and that your book is basically based on that and that all the money goes to a bizarre cat cult uh, like the Egyptians. And that when you die, you're going to be mummified. The thing you'll find when you see mummies, like, for instance, if you were in London on June 14th and you were going to come and see my show at five, before that, you could go to the British Museum all day. Uh, it's a Sunday. I don't know if they're open on Sunday, but if they are, it's free. It's British Museum's totally free. And upstairs, there's the Rosetta Stone, right? Uh, and you can learn any language you like in about, I don't know, two, three weeks. <laughs> I learned uh, Esperanto and Pig Latin. And I, uh, then uh, they also have, God damn, where'd that come from? Oh, I, am a, I had my hair cut today and I think they're flying around. 
I just caught a piece of hair during a cat monologue, and I kind of panicked myself a little bit. I was like, is there some sort of spirit of the kitty coming down here? Is there big pussy laying it down on my tongue because I dared to talk about the calicos and the gingers as they strode through the night? Uh, uh, who was it? Who, uh, uh, um, Baudelaire, who wrote all, uh, several poems about cats that are quite good. He also said, she sucked the pith from my bones, which I think you get the idea. Um, that's some exciting poetry. That one's in the book. Um, because I thought it was so exciting. But the, uh, uh, we were, um, I, does anyone remember what I was talking about now? Because I seem to have run into a... Meowingtons.com, yes. Uh, Meowingtons.com is the name of the website. I'm not asking, and I'm not telling. Don't ask, don't tell, Scott. This, this could be as dull as everything that's gone before. Um, kittens, I don't remember calling on you in the last six months or so. Uh, your characters gratefully receded to the background. Um, that's been your doing, Greg. I think you'll find that the people who are listening out in Poopcastan have been clamoring for my pussy-like qualities. And the intonations of my voice and the succinctness of my comments. The succinctness of your comments consist of that the show sucks a lot of the time. I didn't ask to be on the show. You didn't ask to be a man-woman-cat, either. <laughs> And yet you are, and you're two-dimensional. I'm two-dimensional? Think about the shit you talk about, fuckface. All right, look. Look. Take five. I'll take as many as you like. Um, I'm going to read something from meowingtons.com. My second favorite website. What's your first? Um, Thumbelina. Really? No, but you know what my favorite movie is? No, what's your favorite movie? The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. That sucks. That sucks as a joke, and that sucks from you. I, I take that personally. Uh, never drink alone again because now there's wine for cats. This is from meowingtons.com if I haven't mentioned it. Meowingtons.com uh, should have had a radio ad and it should have been from the early 60s because it would have been like meow, 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 meowingtons.com meow, meow, meow. Buy one for your mom. Meow, meow, meow. You never have to drink alone again because now you knew the writing would be good because the first sentence of the headline is repeated in the first sentence of the article here. <laughs> you never have to drink alone again. There is someone drinking beside you that you'll never drink alone. Uh, because now you can drink with your... Jerry Lewis used to sing it every year at the telethon. The telethon was when... What, what was Lenny Bruce's line? Jerry Lewis would come out and cure children of the disease he caused. <laughs> uh... I love Jerry Lewis beyond measure and I saw him what was it two years ago now Jennifer and I went to see him over at the Cine family and it was fantastic because talk about the, the three faces of Eve fucking Sybil like Jerry Lewis is the most genial professional sexy awesome creative intelligent sensitive funny filmmaker of all time mixed with Caligula and like you ask he would go like when we were making this picture it was very important for us to do this and then Dean did this and blah 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 and I talked to Hal Wallace and got on the next question um, when you were making the disorderly orderly I can't believe you asked a fucking question like that you moron it was awesome uh, two questions in he said to the host over at Cine Family look kid to a 45 year old man look kid you want this night to go all right yeah, I do then let me handle it from here on out, okay? And everybody went, fuck, shit. It was, he was so mafia. It was, it was impressive. But remember, this is a guy who, early in the career, when him and Dean were playing a joint, it might have been in uh, New York, the first joint they played after they did, Atlantic City, uh, they went to a famous nightclub, the Copa, was it not? 
and uh, uh, um, they were playing. They were uh, opening for Vivian Blaine. And Vivian Blaine, you'll know because she was in Guys and Dolls. And if you don't know Guys and Dolls, she was in the movie version of Guys and Dolls, and she sings uh, uh, "Take Back Your Mink" and all that. And she has a real New York shtick. Like Vivian Blaine goes. Well, a person could die. You know, like that's how she delivers her shit, right? When I think of the times I cried, like that. It's a little bit Jerry. And uh, a week later, Vivian Blaine was uh, asked to open for them. And they brought her into the office and she went, fuck you. And they fired her. And uh, Martin and Lewis were launched. And evidently, hitmen used to come see them. They had a very large mafia following. And uh, a guy comes in who's a well-known fucking killer. And Jerry is in the crowd working and goes, hey, are you having a good time? Why not tell your face? Right? And the guy goes, hey, I'm fucking like about What was the Lenny Bruce line? That sound like a tape recording playing backwards? My name is Vinny from Philadelphia. Right? Like, so after the show, the hitman comes up and goes, I'm going to fucking kill this kid. And Dean Martin had to come up and intervene. He goes, hey, he's just a kid. And the guy's like, I don't know, you tell the kid he's not that fucking funny. <laughs> That is a good fucking comedy story. There's nothing like getting threatened by a hitman when you're like 19 years old and trying to do stand-up for the first time. Which, by the way, brings me to this moral. They're having stand-up here at the Nerd Melt tonight. Now, these comics who are going to come on here are going to have a warm, receptive crowd full of bearded people from the Silver Lake area who are going to... And those are the girls, too, who are going to enjoy everything that they say. And no hitman will be here to threaten them after the show. So I say we stay around. To add a certain flavor and piquancy to these people's comedy careers, if they don't ever experience what it's like to be threatened by a gangster, how will they know what show business is like? Uh, so if you'll promise to hang around with me after, what we're going to do is we're going to stand along the wall with our arms crossed and we're all going to light smokes. And if anyone goes, you can't smoke in here, we're going to go like, huh. And then I want one of you. I don't care which one of you it is. Somebody volunteer to go, tell it to the Marines. And then another one of you has to laugh like Dan Durier in, in Key Largo. You have to go. <laughs> and then another one of you says to him, what's funny? And they go, nothing. And that's it. That's how we're going to do it during this show. When TJ's on, please. Let's not do it when TJ's on. He's really creative. He'll envelop it into his routine. He'll absorb it. He'll reflect it on us. He'll dissect it. He'll Derrida the motherfucker and deconstruct it. And then we'll all be fucking left standing there with our fucking cantaloupe in our hands. Uh, pick another comic, one who's less adroit. One who's more maladroit uh, and less adroit than, uh, than uh, TJ. On second thought, if we surround the stage uh, like it was an, an, an Apache raid, you know what I mean? If we just went around and around... I mean, think about that. If a comic was standing on stage and the crowd just got up and went, and like ran around him, didn't hackle nothing, didn't threaten him at all, just ran around, that would be fucking hilarious. I realized I said him. The comic could be a woman, too. This isn't one of those 1960s riddle questions. There's a doctor and you're in an accident. What sex is the gender of them? No one remembers that but me. Because people always said, well, it's a man. And then they go, the woman, the doctor was a woman. And then you were like, oh... My fucking dominant paradigm's been flipped upside down because suddenly my eyes have been open. <laughs> Never drink alone again because now there's a wine for cats. Now you can, now you can uh, drink with your cats. Uh, you know what? You, you could before. I, uh, I, uh, we had a cat, and uh, a lovely cat, and we used to drink, well, not with the cat. I mean, that's the thing. You don't, like, you don't go like, you don't pour the cat a glass of Aquavit, and then like, oh, long God, funny, cali, cali, la, la, hoo, 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 skull, 
or whatever. And then, you know, a human skull is produced and whatnot. And there's a bubbling brew and we have mead and methaglen. And, you know, you know, I'm not like pot boiling juniper berries in the bathtub and the cat's coming in and like pawing furtively and like, oh, let him in. And then the cat drinks some and then does a funny dance and puts a kilt on and shit because it was gin. Um, no, uh, you drink around your cat. Uh, on the other hand, you smoke dope with your pets. I think we can be for sure of that. Um, there are many dogs and cats I've known in my life. Um, there are dogs and cats I remember all my life. Though some were high, some were beagles, some were Persians. There, my friend Laura had a white tabby. And uh, we used to listen to Black Dog by Led Zeppelin every morning before junior year of high school. It's 1976. And we would huff a bone. And uh, there was no, very little options then, although later we'll, all will be revealed. And we would blow it in the cat's face. And the cat would go. And then. And then it would get up on the ledge, right, as all cats do. And then it would jump and fall. Cats almost always land on their feet. Not when they're high, they don't. The cat would fall like this, whoa, whoa, and then get up and go like, I didn't fucking do that. <laughs> Throw its head back and whatnot. It was a white cat. So the tail went up immediately, you know, and we would cry laughing. And then it switched from Led Zeppelin to, uh, um, um, what was it? I'm looking for a hot-headed woman, right? We would do Cat Stevens. Uh, that's uh, Kittens McTavish's favorite singer. I'm almost certain. Uh, I think you'll find it's cat power, bitch. All right. <laughs> cat Stevens in the 70s uh, had a lot of groovy. Um, what was the... Um, well, I've been thinking lately. <laughs> thinking about the world as it is. Now he's called Yusuf Islam, right? Um, he did the Grammys a couple years ago and blew everyone away because he had songs and he could sing. Um, it didn't matter that he was Muslim and he was on the no-fly list. Somehow they let him into the Grammys and shit. I'm looking for a hot... Now, what's the one I'm trying to think of? Uh, about the girl... Uh, uh, Hope you make a lot of nice friends out there. He had a, an insane vibrato. So just remember there's a lot of bad and beware. <laughs> Ooh, baby, baby, it's a wild world. Mew, 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 mew. It's hard to get by just upon a smile. It was fucking good. Uh, chicks went crazy for fucking Cat Stevens. He had a beard... Yeah, guys of today. <laughs> Hip guys in the 70s had a beard and were really thin and were good looking. Cat Stevens was good looking. He was totally fuckable. That's why he was called Cat Stevens. <laughs> well, it wasn't, I don't think it was why he was called Cat Stevens. It was a happy accident. At least in Japan, you can. You can anywhere, as I've said before. Because a Japanese company called B&H Life's, L-I-F-S, F-L-I-F-E-S, Life's, mm. Um, I think you'll find people of Japan, when we pluralize here, we put a V in there. B&H Lives. It's better as B&H Lives. It's like when you buy something and it's clearly made in Taiwan or Hong Kong, and it says in the back, near flame not put good time every everyone. Use not children plastic lethal. At least in Japan you can. Uh, selling wine made specifically for cats. This special feline libation is called... <sighs> Sometimes you're glad you're a comedian because you get to say things that you know people are going to be happy about. 
First of all, to call something a special feline libation <laughs> elevates this cheap marketing ploy to a lofty Everest-like K2 height. I, I barely have enough oxygen to read the next line because we're talking about a wine you've made for cats so you can feel good about being the alcoholic you are. <laughs> I don't need a reason. I don't need a cat. I have a cardboard cat, and I have drunk in front of this cat. Well, behind the cat. I can see behind the cat, which is the name of my next book. Uh, I can see behind the cat. And as you can see, the cat has a little uh, 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 chupy cop. I don't know what they're called, that hold it up. so that it, And why is there another cat on, on top of the cat? A lot of people have queried in their minds while they were watching the show. Why is there a kitten on top of Kittens McTavish? Because uh, a lovely, lovely uh, lady made me these kitten stickers, and I ripped the plastic thing. You know the, the sticky glue, uh, uh, blue tick thing that was on the cat when you got it? I ripped it hard off, and it ripped a piece of the uh, orange off, so I put the cat on it to um, patch it up there. Um, please... <laughs> Please don't start listening to Bill Burr's show now. I beg you to stay with me. I beg. Don't jump over to Jen Kirkman just because this is happening. It's going to get better, and it's going to get better fucking soon. I know the Cat Stevens thing drove a lot of you away. I'm asking you to come back. Like Cheap Trick said. You're taking me back. It's so easy to tell. Um... Uh, it's begun making wine specifically for cats. The special feline libation is called Nyan Nyan Nouveau. <laughs> I told you. As Kotaku reports, who the fuck's Kotaku? <laughs> Don't just cite some bullshit and throw it up. Whatever. This is like watching the news on TV. <laughs> I'm Brian Williams. Yesterday, Hitler in his bunker. What the fuck? I'm Bill O'Reilly. Don't get my dander up, goddammit. As Kotaku... Oh, fuck that. Uh, Nyan Nyan is the Japanese equivalent of Meow Meow. You mean the drug Meow Meow? Because if it is, I would don't know if I'm giving that to my cat right away. I might sample that first, like Charlie Sheen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think Charlie Sheen opens up a bag of whiff and, like, drops it in front of the kitty. I think he fucking does a taster first and then goes, it's good enough for you, and then gives some to his cat. I mean, you know, you want to, you got to, mm, mm, mm. remember in the 70s movies, they go like this, in the French Connection, when they have the specialist junkie uh, guy come in and test the heroin that they get. I don't know if any, you should see the French Connection if you haven't seen it. Why should we see it, Greg? Well, I mean, you know, think about your life. You've seen, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of movies with people named, you know, Justin and Channing and what, Ryan and shit. It's time you see some movies with people named Gene. Because it's a 70s movie, but it's almost like it's a 50s movie. That's why. Gene Hackman wears a turned-up hat in it, and it has the ultimate, in those days, chase scene. The first chase scene that, uh, well, not the first, the bullet, I think, would have a, uh, as good of a chase scene. But The French Connection has a hectic chase scene under the elevated railway, subway in, uh, in New York. Well, it's not a subway if it's elevated. Uh, and he chases, and he almost hit a baby carriage, like, uh, you know, he does Eisenstein. And then the, the, when the, when the, guy, the guy's got a gun to the driver of the subway's head, and the guy driving the subway has a heart attack. And, fucking, and then the train goes crazy. It's just the fucking best. And... Um, 
uh, Gene Hackman is driving below it and then gets out and runs up and tries to stop the subway and it fucking shoots by him and then it's really good. Um, why are we going off on this tangent, Greg? I, don't ever question me. <laughs> because uh, Meow Meow uh, is so important of a drug. In the movie The French Connection, they're chasing down a big heroin importation, which comes inside. Is it a Lincoln Continental or a Buick? It actually comes inside a car. Um, that was their big plan in the 70s. We're going to bring heroin to America, but we're going to put it in a big, giant American Detroit car. Now, of course, you would just, you know, get a woman from South America to put it inside her. <laughs> the special feline libation. Meow meow, um, the Japanese equivalent of meow meow. Remember, oh hey, remember Nyan Cat? <laughs> no. But I don't read Meowingtons as much as I might. This cat wine doesn't really contain any alcohol. <laughs> then how can you call it wine? If it's wine, doesn't it have to be fermented grapes? Because it's the skin of the grape that contains the yeast. If you left grapes in a container of some kind alone and fucked off and then came back several months later, there would be a primitive form of wine in there. It would have bugs boiling in it and all kinds of shit. But so does pot. When they collect pot from the fields, if you remember when you used to buy pot in the old days before you went to a dispensary or whatever, it would have sometimes a beetle in it or a whole stick. Like a stick. Just like a stick. Like, what the fuck is this? Or a rock. Sometimes rocks and shit. There was the detritus and the, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere of a farm basically in it I, we found in high school we would buy dope and it would have bugs in it we'd be like what the fuck and you'd hold up a beetle or whatever and you'd be like this really is Lumbo that's a Colombian beetle how do you know it's not Venezuelan um, because it wasn't Caracas um, do you remember Nyan Cat I don't this cat wine doesn't really contain any alcohol but it does contain juice by the way I have 20 pages tonight we're on the first paragraph <laughs> the first page a long, long, long time ago. Uh, the cat wine doesn't really contain any alcohol. Disappointing. But it does contain juice. <laughs> so does grape juice. Hey, huh? I've always been more of a, a Concord grape person. I've never, I mean, in high school, we used to drink vodka with Concord grape juice. I know that sounds kooky, but like, I'm sure when you were in high school, you did whatever you could. Uh, you know, I always thought that song by Snoop, um, rolling down the street, smoking, what is it? Endo. 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 Sipping on gin and juice, laid back. Um, we used to drink, we would steal from my friend Tom Matroni's house. And Mr. Matroni, if you're still alive, I'm sorry that you're hearing this now. Uh, I don't think Mr. Matroni's alive, but if Mr. M Tom, my buddy, is alive, um, he will remember that we used to steal gin from his father's liquor cabinet and mix it with apple juice. We were 16. You're being terribly judgmental. How were we to get our swerve on? And then Tom and I went to see um, the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers on a double bill at the Laurel Theater in San Carlos. Yeah, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. The Three and Four Musketeers. You know, never mind uh, the Charlie Sheen version, which is 
off the hook. Never mind the Jeremy Irons, Gerard Depardieu version, where Gerard Depardieu is naked in one scene, which is something you'll never, you, you won't be able to erase. It's like going to that, when your friend goes, you should go to this side, it's the Venezuelan dildos, don't fucking go to it. You'll never, ever be able to stop seeing it. When you see Gerard Depardieu naked in this version, it's from about 10 years ago, I reckon, uh, or Leonardo's in it. It's a combo platter. <laughs> Of the man in the iron mask meets the three musketeers and they put uh, Gabe Burns in it. There's a lot of there's a lot of sexy actors and John Malkovich. And John Malkovich is effective in certain roles. He's utterly unfuckable. I mean, if you're gonna make a pantheon of unfuckable actors, John Malkovich might like you. No, 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 no. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Step, everybody, step back. Mr. Malkovich, head of the line. Head of the line. Seriously. Is it the large hairline or the big ass that makes you really want to get this fucking party started? Jeremy Irons, absolutely. Gerard Depardieu in the 70s and early 80s, oh, fuck to the yes. Gabriel Byrne, any day of the week. I don't care how white Gabe Byrne's hair is. I saw Gabe Byrne on the street in Ireland and lost my shit. Gabe Byrne is five foot six and gorgeous. He has the biggest head you've ever seen. Gabriel Byrne has a leonine head. Leonine, okay? Like you walk by him and it's like... Like a giant paw forces your head down into his... And then you're into the pleasure area. And then all of a sudden you're like Janet Jackson. Ah, principles of pleasure and whatnot. That's all that's going through your head. Seriously, if Gabe Byrne gets with you, you're going to fucking dig it. But John Malkovich always does this. And this is what I hate about him. The slip. Except in the movie Being John Malkovich Where he's brilliant uh, and, and my favorite line in the whole movie Is he's walking down the road With the baseball cap on The gimme cap And a dude drives by He's on the turnpike in Jersey And a guy goes Hey Malkovich Take this And throws a bottle at him And it hits him in the head That was fucking Take this John Malkovich Wants to slow Everything down. Um, what's the poker playing movie, Rounders? He's a Russian. For years, uh, on the road with Ryan Stiles and uh, that group of jackanapes, we played poker in the back of the bus. We don't anymore because gambling is a sin. <laughs> we would play poker for years. Not, I mean, we wouldn't play poker for years. For years. As the years went on and the seasons changed and the earth revolved and the universe spun, during that time period, we would be found on the bus from time to time, driving across Canada or other, uh, or northern Mexico, whatever you want to call it. And in the back of the bus, you, we would be found. Uh, we would have to stop for me to smoke weed. A lot of times, bus drivers aren't that cool. It depends on whose bus driver you had. If you had one who'd like driven Dylan around or the Eagles, you're like, he was like, whatever. At that point, it was like you were the fifth child. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what you do. Smoke crack in the fucking breakfast table. I don't, it's just cool. We've had four brothers come before you, and I just, I'm, I'm over disciplining you. <laughs> we had a bus driver once who'd driven the Eagles and Bob Dylan. And I said, what was it like driving the Eagles? And he went, five guys and five sponsors. And I said, what was, what was it like driving Bob Dylan? And he went, at the end of the tour, Bob Dylan gave me an SUV. And I said, what did, it, what did, he, did, he, did he ever, did he do drugs on the bus? And the guy went. <laughs> that was his answer. 
cat one doesn't really contain alcohol. Cabernet grapes along with catnip. Never mix, never worry. That's what you say, jive cookie. So just accept it. It's wine, period, for cats, full stop. <laughs> Nyan Nyan Nouveau costs 399 yen, brackets, or $4, for a bottle, and the company is only producing 1,000 of them, so you should probably act fast. You know what you should do? Stay where you are. <laughs> Stay safely in your home. Do not move at any point. Um, will you, uh, Maddie, are you working on the show? Will you uh, play uh, one of those cheap trick songs? Last night, Jennifer and I were drinking some wine. And uh, we got up and danced, and the TV exploded at that point because I think I jumped too hard. We were listening to Cheap Trick, and my whole point tonight I don't have a big agenda. My big agenda is this if you haven't listened to Cheap Trick ever, it's about time you did. And if you have listened to them, it's time to revisit them. And if you're a member of Cheap Trick, you should lose a little weight. Turn it up a little bit. Right? This is a song by Roy Wood from The Move. with Cheap Trick, of course, was two guys in the band were consummately heavenly, supremely fuckable. The other two guys were unspeakable. Uh, Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos are unbelievable uh, or magicians, if you will. They're Moon Jacksons. Um, they're fantastic musicians. Uh, Rick Nielsen is a superb guitar player. Um, but he wore, he looked like Hans Hall from the Bowery Boys with a sweater on and lots of buttons and whatnot. And, and while we were watching the video, one of the, he's got uh, uh, his mic stand and there's guitar picks adhesed to the mic stand, which he at times throws to the audience. And you're like, Ugh. couldn't you minimalize that shit a little bit? My wife said, if they'd toned down the costuming, they would have been the biggest band of all time. It's kind of true. It's like if um, Axl Rose hadn't been the biggest douchebag that walked the face of the earth, we'd never be talking about Led Zeppelin. We'd only be talking about Guns N' Roses. But Axl Rose was the biggest red-haired fucking douchebag that ever walked the face of the earth. And that's why what we have of Guns N' Roses, what archaeologists have found, what anthropologists have exhumed, is magnificent. I mean, I think you'll find, you're fucking crazy, oh, you're fucking crazy Oh town That part's awesome Then comes the Sweet November rain And you're like no 
You're almost Elton John right now. This is really fucking bubbly. Super bubbly. And then came Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. What the fuck? No. You changed drummers. If you get thrown out of Guns N' Roses for doing too much drugs, you're the coolest person in Guns N' Roses. You're not the asshole. You're not the asshole. I won't have it. I won't have it. Uh, yeah. So there you are. Cheap trick. Uh, and we might bring him back a little later in the show. You've taken it back. I would suggest heaven tonight. Start there. That's their Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Nyan Nyan costs $4 a bottle. And the company is only producing a thousand of them. Oh, Christ. <laughs> oh, we've covered that. Well, good for you. Uh, look, if you want to drink with your cat, pour some milk into a bowl. Or even better... Put a couple scoops of... And go high quality. Don't go fucking... Although you could go to Rite Aid and get thrifty ice cream here in L.A. But if you're in another town, go get Briars or whatever the fuck people have. Carnation, I don't know what they have. Uh, don't get ice milk. Get ice cream. Maybe chocolate chip. And just put a scoop in a bowl and leave it on the floor till it melts. Your cat will go fucking bananas. <laughs> bananas. And they'll lick it up. And while they're doing that, you light the bong and take a fucking drink. Like, just do... Do a shot like a tequila, and then and then when the cat looks up at you, you just go, everything's cool. <laughs> and then uh, you play, um, oh very young, what will you leave us this time? You're only dancing on this earth for a short while. That's Cat Stevens. Uh, I have a poetry book here, and I want to read you a couple of poems because poetry is strong. We've got to start the show. There's no time tonight. T.J. Miller's filming a live concert. Um, it's, it's a guy gave it to me in um, Philadelphia, and I don't know what his name is because I can't remember. If you're listening out there, dude from Philadelphia, who gave me the book Subverse Rhymes for Our Times by Maria Manas, um, I need you to identify yourself on Twitter to me somehow or write me on my email, fanmofergreg at gmail.com. Uh, I was given this lovely uh, 50s um, poetry book. A as you can see, it has a what appears to be a woman throwing a gigantic um, fountain, uh, not a fountain pen, but the kind of pen you dip in ink and um, quill. a quill pen. Uh, it has a nib uh, and no uh, quill on the end, uh, the kind you absolutely dip in ink and write and then blot up and dip again because there's not enough ink on it. And it's a woman in a skirt because Maria uh, was this such, such a person. I had to look her up because I didn't know who she was. Um, Maria Manas, an author, journalist, and critic, was from San Francisco, uh, uh, died in San Francisco. Versatile Miss Manas, I don't know how to pronounce her name even. It's M-A-N-N-E-S. How do you think that is? Mans? was a social critic and critic of radio, television, and theater. She worked as a staff writer for the magazine The Reporter from 1952 to 63. Many articles, essays, and reviews. She wrote satirical verse under the pen name Sack, which is also included in here. She did much writing for The New Yorker and other publications, ranging from McCall's. Is McCall's still a magazine? <laughs> My mother used to read McCall's and Red Book. <laughs> and sometimes good housekeeping. Everyone is looking at me. Grandfather? <laughs> What was whitewash? <laughs> what were the ironclad ships? Well, there was the monitor and the Merrimack, you see? <laughs> there was a time when the Confederacy was threatening this country. You had to take ships of wood and clad them in steel. Powering up the Mississippi with the black-faced crew. <laughs> You may fire one ready, Gridley. Thank you, Admiral Farragut. 
The Battle of Mobile Bay was bullshit. They didn't stand the chance of a fiddler's bitch at Fredericksburg. You have to remember that when Admiral Farragut said, damn the torpedoes, full speed steam ahead, uh, the torpedoes were mines that were weighted to the bottom of the harbor of Mobile Bay. There were no such thing as a torpedo during the Civil War. No one put a, a, a machine in a tube and it shot out. Only in Jules Verne and H.G. Wells did things like that happen. But later, of course, because there's been no spared expense in the development of weaponry. All science, you'll find, and all people who are involved in science, and everyone involved in any technical field, is eventually, at least you could cover your mouth when you're yawning that wide. Um, I don't mind if you're bored. Uh, There's no oxygen in here for me either. All right, now we have to turn the air conditioning on. Will you turn it on? We gotta freeze these motherfuckers. I gotta get a letterman cold here. And I don't mean emotionally. He's cold, right? He had sex with an intern, and then we were just supposed to forget about that, right? Oh, you're still on. But didn't you fuck a 19-year-old because she, like, didn't get any money and worked on your staff? Yeah, she worked on my staff, all right. She sat on my staff. Holy kittens. Thank you for turning the AC on. I get overheated. Uh, any Mans, you think? Uh, she did much writing in McCall's. Ms. Mann's uh, 1958 collection of essays uh, was con- contentiously titled, by the way, this is the New York Times from 1990. She died some time ago. Contentiously titled. You know what? If it was a man, would it be contentious? No. No, it fucking wouldn't. It would be bold or, uh, you know, arch or, 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 or vitriolic or, uh, you know, full of unbelievable insight, depth, pith, and brio. Uh, instead, she's contentious. More in anger, colon, some opinions uncensored and unteleprompted. And that was from 1958, unteleprompted. That's how hip she was. William Dubois, reviewing it in the New York Times, said that to call these pages outspoken is to putting things mildly. Well, he probably said it like this, to call these pages unspoken. He was like the cat when we used to get it high in the 70s. As soon as you got the cat high, it would go, well, to call these pages contentious is putting it mildly. I'm fucked to the tits. Master's gone for the weekend. Oh, look, he left his molly out. <laughs> wow. This Taylor Swift album is freaky most. Haters gonna hate, hate, hate. Miss, uh, whether she is writing in the Rheingold Girl, the Rheingold Girls, those were girls who sold beer in the 50s. Uh, here's what I wanted you to read. Uh, here. For some years, Miss Manns was often seen on television, but she was a champion of the written word. In a speech to a gathering of the American Society of Newspaper Editors, no longer existing, uh, she once said, no picture on a screen can ever be as adequate substitute for the reporting of a trained observer and an honest writer. Fair enough. Uh, she grew up in Manhattan. This is the best part. Um, she went to Miss Velton School for Girls. Instead of going to college, she went to Europe for two years and studied sculpture. Yes! 
Um, if you're a young person, and I see a lot of young people here tonight, whatever you're thinking about doing, fuck off to Europe and study sculpture right now. Seriously. Seriously. Whatever you have an affair with a French guy named Antoine with an uncircumcised knob, go for the fucking gold. Eat apples in the daytime. Let juice drip on your head. Yeah, we're flats. I'm serious. It'll be fun. Smoke for a while. Smoke for a while. I mean, not your whole life, but smoke for like a couple of years. Fucking do it. Fucking do it. It's still doable and you can still do it before the world is underwater, like a J.G. Ballard novel. Because despite Mike Huckabee and despite everything that's happening, Miami and New York and the Maldives are going to be, and Venice are going to be gone. Uh, like Bill Hicks said, Arizona Bay. California is going to be completely underwater. Scottsdale, Arizona will be beachfront property. So while you have the time, please don't go to college. Please go to Europe and study sculpture. I'm begging you as your uh, stoned uncle. Uh, she went to do varied writing, including a play. I'll write a play. Write a play. You don't have to publish it. You don't even have to have it staged. I mean, do a staged reading. You know, go to that place. Uh, it's down the block here. It's called Enotica. They, uh, they have a back room and whatnot. You could do a staged reading of your life there and whatnot. Emily, a story. Your name's not Emily. You've changed it. For the play, for the play. Your name's actually Phoebe, but you think, oh, Phoebe's too pretentious, so no one will believe that my name's Phoebe, so I'll be Emily. <laughs> a lot of very successful poets were named Emily, so it's a good name to go with. Um, during World War II, and this is the part I loved, because um, fuck you, imitation game. During, or what's the one about the guy who broke the code? Imitation game. Oh, okay, good. I was right. God, I love being right. <laughs> Now no one will write me next week and be like, when you tell him, because that's how they write me. They write me in that tone of voice. When you tell him a chasing game, I think you might be other. You were talking about the Stephen Hawking movie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. Fucking Mia Maxima Copa, okay? I think the Human League said it best. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. I was working as an oyster in a cocktail bar when I met you. Don't you want me? I can't believe you mean it when you say that you won't see me. Don't, don't you want me? Something, 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 fucking can't remember the fucking words. First you take a lie, then you ride a moonjack. You better take it back or we will both be sorry. During World War II, she was an intelligence analyst with the Office of Strategic Services. I auditioned for the Office of Strategic Services. I read part of Charlotte's Web. I did a small dance that I'd based on the rights of spring by Stravinsky. I wore a mask. Um, it didn't go well. Uh, they thought I was flip. I mean, uh, the first part they were like, the first part was honest and gripping. But the second part got a little rote for me. And then they didn't take me. Uh, she uh, was an intelligence analyst. I don't know what that means. It means you take reports that come in from uh, World War II, I'm guessing, the Krauts and the Japanese 
After the war, she did much freelance writing, uh, blah, 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 blah. In later years, she appeared on various television programs. The Times television critic Jack Gould wrote in 61 that her sustained acerbity is one of the attractive adornments of contemporary criticism. Acerbity is something that I seek. Uh, Well, you would think that um, uh, immortality is all you seek. What did Tom Stoppard say? Uh, um, I'll think of it. Immortality, give us this day our daily week. What does he say? Uh, in in uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, uh, Dial Tone is the name of this one. Uh, she wrote under the name Sec. It's lavishly illustrated. Um, this one uh, speaks to what I was talking about last week. Laura Poitras uh, won an Oscar uh, for her picture about the hero Edward Snowden that she made with Glenn Greenwald and a lot of other journalists. Edward Snowden is the one who's revealed that the United States government has spent uh, trillions of dollars um, tapping all of our phones, emails, and that of the entire world, and that we spent a- an immense amount of money in an intelligence-gathering system that's just to spy on us at all times, and that their ultimate goal is what Orwell's goal was, that we spy on one another, and that we rat out to the government. Um, and it's a horrible state of affairs. When Laura Poitras gave her speech, she was shaking like a leaf because she was acting like the FBI was going to fucking shoot her as she left the fucking studio. And then Neil Patrick Harris, not to his fault, someone wrote it for him, certain went, um, Edward Snowden can't be here for some treason. And that was supposed to be a funny joke. And it's like, no, it's not a funny joke because it's not treason. You know who committed treason? Dick Cheney, George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, those are people who can commit treason because you can look up treason in the fucking phone book. And... um, Really? Phone book, Greg? Yeah. From when we used to use them from 1993 when I went down to buy the Thelma and Louise thing for Jennifer. And I asked the guy, can I have it for free? And he said, no. And I went, how about $10? And he fucking gave it to me. So I gave him $10 for it. It was cool, though. Jennifer was surprised when she saw it in the living room, I'll tell you that, because it was fucking six and a half feet tall. (laughs) Dial tone with a tap, tap, tap. And a slow, dark stain. Down comes the silent, eavesdropping rain. It seeps through the cellar. It leaks through the walls. The tap, tap, tap on our telephone calls. This is from 1958. So are the bounds of our private domain. Breached by the gentle eavesdropping rain. And the sound of the flood rising higher and higher is the tap, tap, tap on Liberty's wire. He was the one who pointed, the guy who gave me this pointed that poem out to me. Here's one that I found. Middle East is the name of this poem, 1952. You may be aware of what's going on in the Middle East. A band of brigands, terrorists, and otherwise ne'er-do-wells known as the ISIL or the ISIS are going from town to town, um, subjugating women, committing horrible acts of atrocities, and um, uh, basically looting everything that's there. Any antiquities, um, they're taking people's cars and stealing them and selling them. That's what's going on with ISIS, in case you didn't know. Um, We are sending more troops because as you know war is awesome and everlasting and makes uh, us uh, have uh, shitty roads and crappy lights at night and lots of poor people sitting everywhere behind every corner that's why there's war so that that can happen Um, if the government didn't want there to be poor people everywhere and fucking crappy roads and and bridges that fall down they wouldn't have war but they do want it to happen because they can funnel all the profits toward themselves you see this is from 1952 because was it ever fucking thus Um, and it's a picture of a helmet over an oil rig that's spouting oil from it. 
Does this sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> Remember, in 1952, I think was the year that we uh, performed a coup with uh, Norman Schwarzkopf's father in Iran and deposed uh, um, the leader of Iran at the time and put in the Shah of Iran, who eventually uh, came to uh, the United States, uh, was uh, not allowed to come to the United States uh, and uh, had to abdicate it uh, during the revolution in 1979 in Iran. Petroleum, petroleum, with power so accursed, thou art no longer lubricant, but bringeth out the worst. Cupidity and violence gush from thee, uh, uh, gush with thee from a soil where few there are who benefit from any drop of oil. <laughs> Fucking A. Uh, we've had enough of the oil wars in this country. They've ruined this country. They've uh, forced us into a corner economically. They've made us uh, elect people we don't want to elect. They've made us uh, the illiterate class uh, that has uh, people in Congress like Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. That All of that is off the back of oil wars. And um, you can think whatever you like, but of course, you know that no matter what media outlet you're listening to, only I will tell you the unvarnished truth. Me... <laughs> And Amy Goodman. Uh, the difference is, Amy Goodman is in possession of the facts. <laughs> Matt, will you play that Aftan Nishtan thing? Whatever that is. You know, when I was in Philly, a guy named Billy gave me a munchak. In fact, he gave me a set of munchaks. In this room, um, some three weeks ago, there was an ephemeral emotional support munchak, an ephemeral miniature emotional support munchak. We couldn't find it. I looked all over the room with my uh, phone. Um, it was rolling around. There was a slam and there was a bark. And as you know, the munchak is the barking deer. This is a, 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 a tiny model of what is called a giant munchak. Um, now, munchaks don't get that giant even if they're... <laughs> I'm almost certain I feel like there's another Munchak in this room tonight. The Munchaks he gave me were named Mark and Michelle. I don't know who named them Mark and Michelle. If you were from Vietnam, your name would decidedly not be Michelle. <laughs> the miniature, ephemeral, emotional support Munchak moves in a very mysterious way through the night its way through the leaves a green moon shines down because the world is jade its fur glistens in the moonlight because it knows oh my god there it is <laughs> the other moonchalk has just reached the stage dueling miniature emotional miniature support miniature moonchalks See how they swim across the river in its blueness while the green moon shines down upon them. See how they treat lightly upon the land, their tiny hooves picking out, like any angel would, a path through the banana trees. Where are they going? They're going to where you need them. Yesterday you said some shit that wasn't very cool. It's going to be hard to apologize for that. That's why Mark and Michelle are there. They're miniature, ephemeral, emotional support ninjaks. How can they help me? Mark supports everything you do. Michelle believes everything that you say. I didn't mean it when I said that. I support you in that. I fucking believe that you didn't mean that. 
You should accept my apology. You really should accept the apology. I believe that as well. That's how the ephemeral, miniature, emotional support mudjuck works its magic in the night. They don't... Oh, no, they do stand pretty well. Sometimes they have pretend animal toy sex with each other. Oh, it fell down. You know why? It was so grossed out by that joke that it didn't want to. Instead, look at them racing each other. One with its left forelock raised, the other standing stock still, apprising itself of the situation. If there's one thing miniature ephemeral emotional support jocks do, it surmise themselves of their surroundings before they move forward. They're predators at every turn. And beneath that next blue-green bush that rustles in the fucking gentle hyacinth-scented breeze might be a predator of some kind. What eats moonjacks? Every manner of creature. Vermicious canids. Friminous bandersnatch. There's no such thing as a snobsbury. We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of dreams. Wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams. World users and world forsakers on whom the pale moon gleams. Yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. The cry of the sea eagle rings out as the munchak begins to bark. Where goest thou, munchak? To help you emotionally. Because I support you in everything you do unequivocally. What about the mistakes I've made? You'll make them again! The emotional moonshot can revolve, supporting you each time you fail. But what is failure? Failure is when you learn about what you're doing. Success doesn't teach you shit. Failure teaches you everything. As Leonard Cohen said, cracks are where the light shines through. Leonard Cohen didn't say it because he was being glib and picking up chicks, which he was doing anyway. If Leonard Cohen had sang the song, it would go like this. If you're looking for a moonjack, I'm your emotional support, moonjack. And if you're looking for a barking deer, you'll find that we're technically called moonjacks. We'll be uh, in Santa Barbara. Or what night is tonight? Oh, the third. Uh, we'll be doing the Infinite Monkey Cage in San Francisco if you're there next Friday. Uh, with them, Brian Cox. I said his name was Alan Cox last week. His name is Brian Cox. He's a sexy physicist from England. On the 19th, we'll be at the Nerd Melt. You can hear the cry of the Munchak already. The 25th, we'll be at Bar Lubitsch. That's free. Uh, the 21st, will be uh, at the March 21st at. Um, the uh, b- b- uh, Santa Barbara Telegraph Brewery uh, will be in Santa Barbara at the Telegraph Brewery. They, they, they set up a food truck outside. It's off the chain. As discussed two weeks ago, uh, Jennifer had the pork and I had the burger, but I'm going to go pork this time, I think. Greg, you're turning into your grandparents at this point. What was Paula Poundstone's old joke? I call my mother and she goes, uh, I go, hi, mom, how's it going? She goes, your father brings the zucchini into the house. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Right into the house? (laughs) Really? You're going to have the pulled pork this time? Yeah, because 
I had a microbrew. Uh, Overton had a vape. You don't even know the whole details. <laughs> the set list is wicked fun. It's an improvised comedy. We do it here sometimes at the uh, Nerd Melt Comedy Showroom, uh, located graciously across the street from a fire department. And... Uh, <laughs> It, they just throw uh, uh, topics out at you and you have to improvise um, comedy off them. How would you be good at that, Greg? Well, I'm not, but I'm, I'm dead fucking plucky. As uh, our buddy Arden Marine once said, who's a very funny comic on a room, I, I have no talent, but I love to act. Um, <laughs> then we'll be at uh, on the 28th we'll be at the TCM Film Fest over at the Egyptian Theater the Turner Classic Movies Film Fest is so much fun for you those of you who like old movies this year they've got Sophia Loren and Dustin Hoffman so they're not fucking around Julie Andrews and did I hear? I did I actually heard a little Munchak action Munchak Munchak they never respond. Um, Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer are going to be there. They're going to show the sound of music. It's going to be off the chain. Anyway, we're going to show, and I'm finally allowed to say it, we're going to show Adam's Rib with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn uh, and also the immortal Judy Holiday, written by Garson Kanan and um, Ruth Gordon um, from 19... Uh, it's a black and white comedy. Tom Ewell's in it. It's so fucking funny. It's one of the great Hepburn and Tracy movies. And that's what we're going to show on the 28th at the TCM Film Fest at the Egyptian Theater. We invite you to come out to that. Um, Moonjacks are optional. You don't have to bring one. <laughs> However, know this. No, uh, no Moonjacks will be on duty and there'll be no nurse on duty. But no one will be seated during the last three laughs. Uh, on the 9th through the 11th of uh, April, we'll be at Boston at a club called Laughs. <laughs> we'll be doing the podcast on the 9th. Um, Boston will be good fun. As I've discussed earlier, they give you lots of cannoli there. And we go outside and we smoke dope and then we come back in. It's a kind of a corporate affair. Uh, you can't really smoke dope inside. Um, I mean, you could, but then they'd be all pissy at me. I mean, you smoke dope inside, Grant. Can't you go inside? I could, but you know what? Fuck you. I'm an artist. Look at my contract. Artist is the word. Uh, then in May, uh, we'll be all over the world <clears throat> with a book that I've written. Let's have a... Someone say stop. Stop! Uh, okay. The Master and Margarita. This is from the chapter on books. Uh, the smartest book in the world. This, what's this chapter called? You'd think you'd know. It's called Smartest Book, Little Book of Book Reviews. After the disappointment of this book, I can offer you the small solace of some books that I can vouch are actually illuminating, and you won't have to work very hard to understand why. You like reading or you wouldn't be here, but we live in a world where our attention span lasts less than the length of an internet ad. So I'm here to help by boiling down some of what I think of as classics to a paltry but amazingly descriptive few lines. It is literally the least I can do. Without further ado, the squint and you miss it little book of little book Littler book reviews Blood Meridian Or The Evening Redness in the West Here's the quote from Cormac McCarthy War was always there Before man was War waited for him The ultimate trade Awaiting its ultimate practitioner Here's my little book description Of Cormac McCarthy's Masterpiece 
Blood Meridian. A violent tween joins a horrific band of doomed scalp hunters, and the fun starts there. <laughs> Moby Dick in the Old West with beheadings. <laughs> Thank you. There's a poster here. <clears throat> there it is. <laughs> I turned into an <clears throat> 80s talk show host just then. We have a giant cardboard thing that they've sent us from New York. This, received, this I got in the mail today from New York. They were like, do you want a poster for your show to uh, promote yourself at book shows? I'm like, sure, send it, but make sure it's small enough to put in a suitcase. <laughs> now, I don't know what kind of steamer trunk you're traveling with on the fucking Titanic, but you would have to have manservants to carry something this fucking big with you on the road. Am I right or am I right? This is the size of a fucking refrigerator. I don't know how I'm going to carry this anywhere. I brought it here tonight, and there's no room to put it anywhere. It's a giant picture of me being a twat in front of a book. Uh, we'll be going on a book tour. Here are some of the dates. Wouldn't you rather just tell us to go to your website? It's my show. And it's free to download. So bite to the me, to the chunk, to the chunk. The smartest book in the world uh, will be at... Uh, I'll only go through a few. Well all of them that are on the list. Um, we'll be doing podcasts as we go and also book events in various towns. Why don't you hit the highlights for us, Greg? All right, I will. Uh, Tuesday, May 5th, we'll be at the Strand Bookstore in New York City uh, in conversation with John Fugelsang, who is a delightful, uh, intelligent, sensitive, and uh, unbelievably uh, crispy individual who, <laughs> despite his nefarious past on uh, TV Guide Channel and uh, VH1, <laughs> is uh, an intellectual um, who knows the Bible backwards and fucking forwards. I'm not kidding. His father was a, a, a friar, I think, and his mother was a nun. I'm not kidding. John Fugelsang knows his fucking scriptures. Not that we're going to be doing a Bible quiz or anything. All right, for 10 points. In the book, this one's for a pint of beer. In the book of Deuteronomy... Oh, I can read the writing on the wall. Uh... In any case, John Fugelsing is a gorgeous individual and has interviewed George Harrison for hours, which he's told me about at length. And it's more exciting than anything that's ever happened to you. Um, he'll be, uh, we'll be in conversation. I don't, want that, I don't know what that means. I mean, you know, like we're going to be at a bookstore and the book will be there and he'll go like, hey, Greg, and I'll go like, hey, John, and then we'll like know each other. And then like in conversation... When you were starting the book and I was like, well, I was kind of high, so it took a while. <laughs> Uh, Thursday, May 7th, will be the Bell House in Brooklyn. Join us there. Uh, wonderful gig. Uh, I love the Bell House in Brooklyn. And they sell barbecue pork sandwiches. In case you were wondering where I was going to go at the Bell House, uh, Jennifer split it with me last time, and she had to admit. It might be freeze-dried or whatever. I think they bring it in a little plastic bag, and they heat it up in boiling water. But it's still fucking good because the buns are all right. And, you know, it's New York. You're going to get a dill pickle. And I mean a fucking dill pickle. The problem with going to weird places like the Midwest or whatever is they'll give you a bread and butter pickle or a sweet pickle and you're like, who wants a sweet pickle? Like, what am I? A hundred? What, what happened? I'm not, I'm not in a, you know, like, I, I'm not Laura Ingalls Wilder. I want a dill pickle, all right? I'm a little more Studs again. You know what I mean? Like, let, let's, I want to go East Coast. I don't, no, you know, bread and butter pickles are all right. They're nice. They're nice. No. They're nice. No. 
I mean, they're okay on a burger, but they don't yeah. give it any zang. They don't, there's no zang, there's no zest, there's no... I mean, uh, the thing about a dill pickle is it contests you every step of the way. You bite into a dill pickle and you're like, fuck, really? And the pickle's like, yeah, put them up. I mean, like, a bread and butter pickle's like, well, whatever you want, honey, it's going to be all right. Like, you know, and don't, don't. No, you can do whatever you like to me. Put your finger wherever you know. Stop it. Stop it. I don't want you to be easy. It's not making it better for me. It's not making me turned on. But I just love you. You can do whatever. No, stop it. I need a little resistance. You know what I mean? I don't mean like Sammy Khan resistance. If a pickle loves you, make sure that gherkin loves you all the way. Spread your two legs open. Stop your furtive hoping. My pickle's here to stay. Then we'll be in Collegeville, PA. Who the fuck signed me up for that shit? What the living cock is Collegeville, PA? Fuck you, Simon and Schuster. Um, I think you'll find it's Touchstone, a division of Simon and Schuster. We'll glancing blow off you, Touchstone. Then we'll be in Chicago at the Up Comedy Club. Uh, we'll be doing a podcast there. Uh, Anderson's in Chicago on May 14th. May 18th, Powell's uh, awesome Powell's bookstore in Portland, Oregon. One of the greatest bookstores in the United States. Uh, a friend of mine who was uh, a little more conservative than I, I sent him to Powell's in Oregon, and he came back and he went, man, they've got all these liberal books. I'm like, you're in Oregon. <laughs> this isn't South Carolina. <laughs> No, they don't have Laura Ingraham at the fucking front desk, okay? Then we'll be at the University Bookstore in Seattle, Wa, uh, where you can buy weed. I mean, not at the University Bookstore, but surely somewhere in, in Wa. Wa is uh, wide open now. That's May 19th, May 21st. This is the one I want you to come to. I know you live in L.A., but uh, uh, if you live in San Francisco or you're planning on visiting San Francisco and you're wondering what time of year to go, May is an awesome time to go to San Francisco. May and uh, September, October would be the two times I'd send you. In the summer, you're going to freeze your ass off. In the winter, it's a little rainy. Uh, May 21st, Green Arcade and City Lights at McCroskey Mattress Company on Market Street. It's across from Zuni. So here's your plan. You, you, you get into Zuni. You don't, don't book a table. Go to the bar and have a couple drinks. Go in the bathroom, do a rail. Uh, come out and have a hamburger yes! at, at, at Zuni because they do, uh, they do it on focaccio bread with pickled onions. Yeah. And then mustard. And then they do, uh, what are they called? What are the fries called, Jennifer? Shoestring fries, not steak fries, the little ones, right? So they're in this the gossamer spiderweb pile, and they get cold immediately. So you have to take them by the handful and dunk them in the thing, and then like that. Then run across the street to McCroskey. Then it'll be about 645. Uh, then I'll get up, and I'll read some bullshit, and then we'll all fucking just smoke weed and get drunk. And listen to loud, loud fucking... What's that other cheap trick song we got on there? It might be this. There also might be, there might be Japanese people cheering. Yes, it's air drumming. 
That's the second line. Here, take that down a little bit here. We'll go through the rest. Uh, Green Arcade, then 26th, we'll be doing a podcast The Punchline. 27th, uh, we'll be at Skylight Books here in Los Angeles, uh, over on Vermont, North Vermont. Don't get it confused with South Vermont. Uh, that's near a fat burger that's in a car park. So you can kind of swing your way around. That's your plan on that night. Go to the fat burger first, huff a giant bone, then, or vape, whatever you do. Dab, dab. And Although if you bring portable dab with you, you're a psychopath. But okay. <laughs> There's a drive through fat burger there, but I prefer to go in and sit at the counter at that one on Vermont. Uh, it's funner. And they're a nice crew. Uh, play some jams on the jukebox, whatnot, and then nip over to Skylight, uh, where I'll be there. I, we might have a host, we might not. They, they said it was my option, and I, I haven't picked a comedian. If I do, I think I'd pick someone like Margaret Cho. I think I'd, pick, I think I'd have Margaret Cho interview me. Because then, it, then we wouldn't talk about the book ever. We would talk about how we smoked dope in Reno in 1990. And that would be the whole of the show. And then people would be like, are you selling books? And I'd be like, you know, I'm selling whatever. Does anyone have a dill pickle? Uh, then we'll be in the Mysterious Galaxy on Sunday, May 31st in San Degraded at 2 p.m. We're also doing podcasts on the 10th at the Helium, uh, May 10th at the Helium in Portland, uh, May 17th at the Helium in, um, uh, May, May 10th at the Helium in Philadelphia, IA, uh, May 17th at the Helium in Portland, and um, then uh, at San Degraded at the Great American Comedy Country uh, <laughs> Company. Sorry. Sunday, May 31st at the Great American. Thank you very much. Um, we have no time for anything, and we have to leave soon. And I had a million things about all the police shootings that have been going on. And, of course, the person that was... Really, basically, there's no boring preachy part. So we're going to move right to this, and then we're going to fuck off into this good night. And I want you to play... Um, well, not yet, but I will in a minute. Leonard Nimoy, uh, best known for playing the character Spock in the Star Trek television shows and films is swirling uh, in the universe tonight. Um, you know what he's doing? He's looking after you. Why? Because he cares about you. Why does he care about you? Because Vulcans um, grow up on a planet that's largely desert, as you know. Their queen is named Tupau. Uh, that's a T apostrophe, Pau. And uh, in the mating episode, they shake a little jangly fucking silver thing and whatnot, and Tupau's there. And there was also a crappy 80s group called Tupau, based on Spock's fucking queen of her planet, uh, that queen of his planet that he lived on and whatnot. The mating episode is one of the most powerful episodes um, in Star Trek history. Um, if you haven't watched the original Star Treks, it's about time you fucking pull your shit together and make me want to respect you a little bit. Um, I watched them when I was a child. Um, it came on when I was six. It went off when I was nine. My friend Jeff Belton and I would watch it together. My father let me stay up to watch it because it was on at 10 o'clock on Thursday night. 10 o'clock on primetime on NBC. And um, we were more excited than you could possibly be. Dig this. Even as a six to nine-year-old watching the show, which basically is the same rough period that um, the Avengers and Batman were on, which is why my childhood, I'm not saying it's better than your childhood. I'm just saying I'm better than you as a person. <laughs> The Avengers, Batman, The Addams Family, and Star Trek were all on when I was little. And um, uh, uh, The Avengers had uh, Dinah Regazem appeal and Patrick Meany as Steed, and it was just 
it's just unsurpassed as schlock television. Um, the Addams Family, might, there might not be a better show that was ever on TV than The Addams Family. I don't know if any other show had carnivorous plants and a homicidal child on it. And an uncle that rode a motorcycle into the house that was clearly a fucking pervert. And the sexiest married couple in the history of television. There was no question that Tish and Gomez were lighting up shit every fucking two seconds. Because she would say Yiddish words to him, which was the best part. She'd, she'd say bubula, and he'd go, oh my God, you're speaking French. And then he would kiss her arm uh, from her hand up to her shoulder. And she wore a long black dress that had a snake, uh, like an octopus bottom on it. And as he kissed up her arm, sometimes he'd be interrupted. And he would take a piece of chalk out of his pocket and mark the spot where he had stopped kissing up her arm. The movies with Angelica Houston and uh, Raul Julia are, uh, are great because of them. The first one is a little bit intolerable. The second one, Adam's Family Values, is quite good. Um, uh, and uh, it has to be said, Joan Cusack is amazing in it. But Angelica Houston and uh, Raul Julia get it going on uh, just the way that John Aston and Carolyn Jones did. Uh, if you want to see Carolyn Jones in other movies, you can watch the movie Kid Creole uh, with Elvis Presley. Uh, Carolyn Jones wears a pixie bob all through the 50s and has a dancer stance and is fucking amazing. But her greatest role, of course, is Morticia. Um, Leonard Nimoy uh, was on the show and dig from 66 to 69 and my memory is not like you know uh, uh, photographic but my memory is you know fertile and uh, by the end of the show we thought there were too many monsters on our opinion was as children and discerning connoisseurs of science fiction that it had gone a little lost in space <laughs> We were fans of The Twilight Zone, and we were fans of The Outer Limits, which is one of the most superb anthology shows that was ever... Both of those are well worth a look, and they're available on Netflix. Certainly The Twilight Zone is. I don't know where the fuck you can find The Outer Limits. There's, a, there's, a, um, uh, there's some Outer Limits episodes that are beyond the fucking realm of TV comprehension. In any case, uh, the first season of Star Trek, William Shatner wore kind of across the abreast dashiki green uh, tunic that kind of pinned up here. Then they went with the sort of blue ones after that that had the logo on them. Spock, on the other hand, in the, in the pilot episode, is shouty. And he goes like, ship's landing! And you're like, whoa. By the first season, by the first couple of episodes, Spock had refined it down to everything was, he would just, he had pointed ears and he would turn and they'd go, Spock, what do you think? And he'd look up from his console and he'd go, Fascinating. <laughs> he sat at the science desk uh, over in the corner, and he always knew uh, everything that was going on. Not only that, he was half Vulcan, half human, which meant that uh, we could all relate to him because all of our personalities are Janus-faced. All of our personalities are in schism. All of our personalities are, uh, uh, my heart's in the highlands, but my soul's in the ghetto. Uh, my, my, I'm really a drummer, but actually I'm a ballet dancer. Um, I like to cook, but at the same time, all I want to do is fucking go to the drive-thru. There's so many dichotomies in all of our souls, and Spock represented all of those. Having a half-breed alien on the deck of a ship in a primetime television series, having someone play an alien in a primetime television series had not really been charted yet on television. Also, you may remember on the Star Trek crew, um, there was a black woman, there was a Russian guy, and there was Sulu, who was Chinese from San Francisco. It was the first multiracial polysexual cast where, as my wife pointed out, everyone on the bridge was treated with respect because they were officers. Oh. 
And, uh, and this is 1966, you guys. The Vietnam War is going. Lyndon Baines Johnson is president. We're about to go into the Nixonian years. The whole world's about to take a fucking nosedive. Um, there's a revolution going on in America. Um, Leonard Nimoy probably got more fan mail than any fucking person on TV during that time period. Teenagers totally related to Leonard Nimoy's character. Not only that, he was a great-looking Jew. He was tall, he was skinny, he was sexy, he had, his, he had his pants tucked into his boots, and they wore awesome little beetle boots. It was groovy. Remember they didn't wear belts, they had like little Sansa belt pen, they'd take the communicator up, and then they had the phasers and whatnot. And then it took forever in those days to dub the fucking opticals on when they would shoot their phasers. Those, were, those had to be filmically dubbed onto fucking video in those days. Star Trek was a wild undertaking. And, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy, the sonorous, gaunt-faced... This is from the New York Times. Gaunt-sonorous. It's a beautiful word. That's because he would go, because Leonard Nimoy spoke in a deep voice. Who won a worshipful global following. Worshipful global following. We should all be so fucking lucky in our obituary in the New York Times that we would have a worshipful global following because he did uh, the resolutely logical human alien first officer of the starship enterprise on the television and movie juggernaut I would I don't know if I call it a juggernaut any show that stops for 11 years before the first movie comes out and then the first movie is a piece of shit and then the second movie comes out several years later I don't know if the word juggernaut is what I'd use a juggernaut is from Indian uh, rich, religious ritual right a juggernaut rolls through a Hindu village and is an unstoppable wagon that has firecrackers and shit on it and demons and whatnot that's what a juggernaut is in other words you must jump out of the way of it because it will roll you down Star Trek was a stop-and-go milk cart <laughs> that started in a delicious cream-based area, became a kind of a shitty watered-down ice milk, and then regained its footing with the fucking second movie, The Wrath of Khan. And then by the fourth movie, which Leonard uh, directed The Voyage Home, yes. when, Leonard, when they land in San Francisco and William Shatner goes, everybody remember where we parked. That's when... And I think uh, one of the best movies, when George Takai, when they're pulling over San Francisco and the ship goes, San Francisco, guy was born there. <laughs> we all know how it went. You can't call me, tell me it was a juggernaut. I mean, you know, I, I'd get overheated too if I was writing an obituary for the New York Times. But then I'd balance it out with good writing. <laughs> what is this, Meow. Yeah. Meow, whatever the fuck it was, dot com. I don't remember what it was. What was it? Yeah. Meowingtons. Meowingtons. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't believe I said Meowingtons tonight. <laughs> and Eddie Vedder for the fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. God, you suck. God, you fucking suck. God, you suck. If Kurt Cobain was alive, he would kick fight you. Because Kurt would go like, Come as you are, as you were, as you wanted to be. Like, fucking, yeah. And then he better go, Swallow. 
that yogurt. Only Rick Astley made you want to swallow more. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. <clears throat> never gonna run around and you. He came from somewhere back in long ago. His artistic pursuits, poetry, photography, and music, in addition to acting, now we have to leave. A little bit of fucking um, the Spock speech, please. This one's off his first album. This is him reading The Desiderata by Max Ehrman. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without... You can turn that down a little. It's... Be on good terms with all persons. Turn it, turn it down. Speak your truth. In episode 24, which was first shown on March 2nd, 1967, Mr. Spock is indeed transformed. Under the influence of the aphrodisiacal spores, he discovers on the planet Omicron Seti 3. This isn't a theory, these are facts. You may remember Rigel 5. This was Omicron Seti 3. He lets free his human side and announces his love for Lelia Kalami, played by Jill Ireland, who was the wife of Charles Bronson. I don't like you, son of a bitch. <laughs> a woman he had once known on Earth. In this episode, Mr. Nimoy brought to Spock's metamorphosis not only warmth, compassion, and playfulness, but also a rarefied concept of alienation. I am what I am, Leela, Mr. Spock declares after the spores' effects have worn off and his emotions are again in check. And if there are any self-made purgatories, then we all have to live in them. Mine can be no worse than someone else's. Although, during the middle of that episode, William Shatner fronts him in a scene. And when he's high on the aphrodisiacal spores that shoot out of these giant, weird, honeycomb, fucking HR puffin' stuff flowers on the episode, <laughs> the flowers turn to you like a Venus flytop, and shoot in your back. And all of a sudden, he's like, who's for pussy? <laughs> That one's good. Really get upset. William Shatner comes up to him and goes, Spock. And he goes, and we, I don't think he said it any other time in the series. Mr. Spock always said, yes, Captain. It's always Captain or Captain Kirk. He goes, Jim. <laughs> Unbelievably good. I had a Star Trek tracer gun from the age of seven on. Uh, they had little plastic tracers on them. We took them to college with us. Yes, me and my friend Forrest Brakeman. We used to assassinate the guy running for uh, student body president next door. We would kick in his door and shoot him with Star Trek tracer guns and yell, Bob must die. We were 20 years old. A good comic would have ended there. He received an Emmy nomination for the 1982 movie A Woman Called Golda, which he portrayed the husband of Golda Meir, who was played in that movie, by the way, by Ingrid fucking Bergman. Fuck yeah. In later years, he rediscovered his Jewish heritage. He wrote, he directed, he made poetry. And in 1991, he produced uh, Cue Up the Bilbo Baggins song. That's what we're closing with tonight. We're not closing with the theme tonight. We're closing with the, the story of Bilbo Baggins off his first album. My friend Jeff Belton bought I Am Not Spock when I was little. I really just can't tell you how much Leonard Nimoy means to me. Um, when, when John Aston passes, I don't know what I'm going to do. He was Gomez Adams. Uh, they all go eventually. Adam West, and I met Adam West. I, I've never got to meet Leonard anymore. I met Adam West, and Adam West said, uh, Greg, 
you double you. <laughs> and now I got a huge chubby. In later years, he rediscovered his Jewish heritage. In 91, he produced uh, and starred in Never Forget, a television movie based on the story of a Holocaust survivor who sued a neo-Nazi organization of Holocaust deniers. His religious upbringing also influenced the characterization of Spock. The character's split-fingered salute, he often explained, had been this idea. He based it on the Kahanic blessing, a manual approximation of the Hebrew letter Shin, which is the first letter in Shaddai, one of the Hebrew names for God. To this day, I sense Vulcan speech patterns, Vulcan social attitudes, and even Vulcan patterns of logic and emotional suppression in my behavior, Mr. Nimoy wrote years after the original series ended. But that wasn't such a bad thing. Given the choice, he wrote, if I had to be someone else, I would be Spock. We would all be Spock. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Now, Bilbo Baggins. If, uh, may every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool Papa Bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love. Good night, everybody. In a hobbit hole and everybody knows him Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins It's only three Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins The bravest little hobbit of them all Now hobbits are peace-loving folks, you know They never